fair play, warm beer, and cricket on the green. This isn't just a gun. This is an MNS gun. I'm going to talk on the microphone in there. I'm wrong in liking something. How dare you? It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Stedman, and later I will explode for your pleasure. I'm Danny Smith. Avoid if at all possible. I'm John Bands, and I've just thrown away a copy of Godspell. I won't need it where I'm going. We have a couple of J's to finish off, so uh, let's waste no time and get into some cathartic swearing. When in a national speech, the financial minister of the royal world estate of Qualvista said that the economy had uh, now arrived at one whole juju flop situation, everyone was so pleased he felt able to come out and say it that they quite failed to notice that their 5,000-year-old civilization had just collapsed overnight. John... We've talked about swearing before, and we'll doubtless do it again, damn it. So uh, I wanted to skirt around the subject and ask you if you've ever had a similar situation to the financial minister of Qual Vista. So it took me a while to work out what the situation the um, financial minister of Qual Vista was in. And um, if it's what I'm thinking of, um, then yes, because what I can assume it was that the financial minister was very bad at his job. <laughs> Seems accurate. Uh, so, um, yes. So I've had that. I've had that situation. Um, certainly. But what also I've had is I've had situations, but although I'm not normally found out, uh, because the companies, uh, normally go, uh, bust, um, just, be, just before, uh, it becomes completely obvious that I don't know what I'm doing. So, um, that's, that's probably what happened to the financial minister. Um, so this, uh, years ago, this is, this is this would not this would probably have not not got me the sack, but it caused me many a sleepless nights that um, liquidation, bankruptcy, and redundancy seemed a better option at the time. So um, I used to work for a, uh, a a book publisher. This is well outside the statute of limitations, and um, you know how uh, I've said before that you don't uh, you shouldn't trust books because. I've seen how they're made, and we all know how to get them to stand up as well. Don't trust them on the floor. No, not that. Not down there on the floor. Well, there's a, there's a, if you go and uh, search on our uh, website, you will see a picture of Dolly Parton's <laughs> library. But see, the news of the shelf has not reached uh, Tennessee. Um, but so what? So I have, the books that I used to produce used to have sort of downloadable files with them. They were like uh, tutorial things. So um, and uh, I was very clever once, and what I thought I'd do is I'd. Um, I'd try to make this book as um, compatible with all the different versions of the software as possible. But I just thought I'd tidy up and resave the files for this book in the latest file format, not keeping a copy of the old file format and rendering them in unopenable in uh, in lots of things. And I, you, every so often you'd get these support queries come in and I'd just I'd sort of, uh, put them off and put them off and put them off. And I was genuinely getting sleepless nights about it. So when the company got busted and it wasn't my problem anymore, that made me quite happy. <laughs> I thought the situation, the comparable situation was that you, you hook up so badly, but when you go, yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually quite fucked up, people go, oh, well, fair enough. You know, at least you're honest about it. Was I was I reading that wrong? No, I don't think so. I think, um, I mean, it, it's it's up to you whether you choose uh, to to believe that Qual Vista was was vertled because of uh, what the what the the minister did, uh, or it could just be that the whole sorry, you know, the whole state was was in a sorry state because 
according to Adams, no one had done anything. I say according to Adams, like he's like written a history <laughs> about this place and didn't just make it up. Um, he's not. He's he's, he's like he's the Jeffrey of Monmouth of the galaxy. I definitely um, get that reference. I also get that reference, but explain to my cat who's also in the room that doesn't get it. No, I don't understand. Oh, well, Jeffrey of Monmouth was just the monk who wrote the first history of Britain. Uh, it, it was, um, and it's all bollocks. Wow, all of it. It's, it's like it, it's, he sort of invented King Arthur and stuff. But he was, oh, is that real? Oh, that that sounds real. It's not real. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, like I, I think there's there's something to be said about um, being able to use language as as a kind of you almost shock people into a sense of oh god. It, I mean, it, it is that bad, but at least the fact that he, you know, he felt he felt able to come out and say it. You know, it's if if you take a, a politician and they were, you know, I, I actually think um, Richard Curtis tried to do this to a degree in uh, that film where Hugh Grant was the prime minister, the one where he would definitely be been done by the Me Too Brigade. Oh yeah, kind of. Well, kind of. No, I see what you're saying, but maybe not because he still couched it in flowery euphemistic terms. He was like, "Oh well, our special relationship isn't that special, and it's only one sided." If he'd have gone that guy, that Billy Bob Thornton motherfucker, right, is <laughs> a, a proper nonce. Yeah. <laughs> um. Then that would be the the, uh, the the equivalent. But you're absolutely right. That would be the juju flop equivalent. Yes. Yeah. He instead he was pretty Hugh Grant about it. Yeah. I was I was I was reading an interview with Hugh Grant, and apparently in Paddington Two, he plays a, a person that's a master of disguise, so he plays lots of different people. He does. I watched this on Saturday, and uh, the interviewer said, um, "The interviewer said to him, oh, it must be, uh, it must be great. Like, uh, you, uh, you know, you're an actor, and you get to show a range.'" And he's like, "We all know <laughs> that I don't." <laughs> And have never done that. <laughs> God bless the man. Which actually is the juju flop situation. He's, he's been utterly frank and honest, and uh, uh, more charming because of it. Which actually, um, and he and he doesn't in because it's just a series of wigs and <laughs> costumes. You play just play the character. It's a very weird film, the uh, Paddington Two, but quite funny. Lots of uh, sort of um, nice cameos from uh, English. Comic talents and stuff. Sanjeev Bhaskar, Jessica Hines, uh, Peter Capaldi, loads of people in it. To bring it back though, how English is it? Is it? Is, does it? Does it like encapsulate Englishness in a way that I'd want it to? Um, it's a sort of in in the same way that I say Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is kind of a a treaty on Englishness or, or Britishness. I think it has a lot. It has a sort a certain Englishness about it. I think it's possibly a, a stylized Englishness that the Americans can get on board with. And uh, now uh, it's time for another drink. It is a curious fact that something like 85% of all known worlds in the galaxy have invented a drink called gin and tonics. The drinks themselves are not the same. And in fact, the one common factor between all of them is that they were all invented and named before the worlds concerned made contact with any other worlds. Danny, do we think some kind of galactic morphic resonance is responsible for this particular phenomenon? Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's kind of the joke. But when you di- when you dig deeper into it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm having that on a t-shirt because that's that's kind of my. It's not my motto, but it's the <laughs> motto that I feel like I hear ringing around my head a lot. Well, that's the joke. But when you dig deeper into it, I think 
uh, he, yeah, he's saying something about Englishness and Britishness and the way we see ourselves as a constant, as something that's always existed and always will exist. Not like that we're an invention. Like, so, <laughs> so you know, the empire rules forever, that sort of like weird British value of, of, being this constant force in the universe when in fact we're not we're, we're we're a passing fad we're hardly we're hardly even the roman empire um and we will try to do you know what really fucking annoys me by the way right i've just what really what, what really fucking annoys uh, i've just thought about this and it got my gut like in schools schools are now made and inspected on the adherence and teaching of british values can you hear the the air quotes in my hand uh British mm. values. Now, what are British values? Uh, fair play, um, warm beer, and cricket on the green. There, it's it's something ridiculous. They are the, the they are the blandest, most um, anodyne, universal things that are in generally good. Like I don't know, diversity or um, like there's nothing specific to British Britain about them. Yet they're being touted as British values, which is incredibly arrogant <laughs> and and wholly inaccurate by the way well let, let's 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 widen this out so um are there any countries i know and i i totally take your point that the british values are pointless and shit but is it possible to have a country that has a value that not every other country think that is a good one that not every other country thinks applies to itself um i don't know um is there a country somewhere that goes we're really good at making beer mats. That's our national character. You know what? Actually, it's it's not a funny answer, but I, I would I would say, um, and uh, <clears throat> I'm not suggesting that this is uniquely British, but I think a country's sense of humour uh, is something that a country can be proud of. And I would suggest, that, or I would posit, that not every country values a sense of humor as being an important part of their identity that is true that is true not that not to say that they don't think that they have a sense of humor no absolutely absolutely i'm sure north koreans have a great sense of humor but i would not i would not think that that is something that they value as part of their national identity okay so here are here are according to us the british values democracy the rule of law (laughs) individual liberty (laughs) And mutual respect and tolerance for different faiths and beliefs. So those are the uniquely British values that we have to teach. They're also the things that a bunch of Brits left Britain and went across to a completely different island in order to espouse. It's like that is what the founding fathers of America left Britain it's, for. It's just infuriating. It's infuriating to think that. Yeah. There are some people that think those are uniquely British values and that they should be taught in schools. Like, they shouldn't be just values that everybody has. Like, like, yeah. children wouldn't respect the rule of law unless they, like, somebody sits them down and go, oh, you know, law is brilliant, right? Uh, so don't not do them. <laughs> and they'll go, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to stop stabbing everybody. I'll only stab people from different countries. So, yeah, I like to think that the gin and tonics thing is a Roy commentary on, um, on Adam's uh, perceived um, perceived view of the English the English idea that we are forever and always have been and are eternal and 
if you'd ever go to a different planet, of course, there'd be like a analog to the English. And of course, they, they would be uh, fine, upstanding citizens and have a sense of humor about themselves. And all, all these all these stories that we tell ourselves about being British or English. It's interesting, isn't it? So the, the only other um, instance of this in the Hitchhiker's universe that I can think of, there's this and there's cricket, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where cricket has, uh, cricket is sort of the other way. So we've got uh, cricket's got a root and everything comes out of cricket and people have cricket in different ways and and stuff. Um, so and gin and tonics goes the other way, if you see what I mean. So gin and tonics is convergent evolution. Um, and that's 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 quite that's in I don't know that's interesting in one way. I, it's probably not true, but you've heard the rumours that. Um, uh, some words in Welsh and some words in Hindi are quite similar, even though the languages share no root at all. Yes, yes, I've heard that. It's probably nonsense. Yeah. Also, Popty Ping is not the Welsh for microwave. Oh, it is a chain of uh, Welsh Greggs type shops. So. <laughs> <laughs> and after a nice GNT, it's time for a walk in the desert. Cacrafoon is a desert world above which the stars are very visible and where Disaster Area had a good gig upon returning from Milliways. The Cacrafoonians were highly enlightened, accomplished and quiet and as uh, and so, as a punishment for this, they were given telepathy and were subjected to shouting inane small talk to prevent broadcasting their thoughts to anyone within a five-mile five mile radius. John, I feel like telepathy is a sci-fi trope that Adams really didn't run much with. Why do you think that is? Like time travel, it spoils the story. Yeah, um, it's, it's. I think it, this is this is an inter- It's an interesting one. So um, I think I've mentioned before how in the book of Starship Titanic, written by Terry Jones from uh, Douglas's original idea, the um, the sort of uh, rather than the clever um, Babelfish idea as to why everybody can understand each other. It's um, simply tossed away in a paragraph that isn't it lucky that these aliens convergently evolved a language that was almost identical to English. <laughs> Telepathy is is an in, is, is one of these things. It's a really interesting science fiction idea, but I think then becomes very difficult to do anything with in terms of um, suspense or <laughs> motivations of characters. Yes, of course. Or um, and. Also, don't forget, of course, that Hitchhiker's is science fiction in only four exploring ideas. And it's kind of, I was thinking about it, and it it really does hit home that most of the alien characters that we follow in the in the, the entire increasingly uh, badly named trilogy, <laughs> um, they are aliens that are essentially us, but cooler. Mm. They're, 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 they have to be us in order to be parodies of us uh, yeah in some um, way relatable yeah and telepathy is just too hard a thing i would absolutely hate telepathy i mean i can tell what danny's thinking most of the time and that's enough yeah that's bad enough me. yeah <laughs> oh you don't need me in your head john that's that's not nice but i do i, I don't not say that telepathy isn't possible because we've all heard other people's thoughts surely go on when people's thoughts are so loud you can hear them <laughs> um the uh, when I first watched uh, Train Spotting in the pictures with a few friends, um, the uh, mate of mine who was sitting a couple of seats away was absolutely convinced he could hear me thinking, "Ooh, I'll have my hair done like that." 
when uh, Johnny Lee Miller's character came onto the screen. And he was right. That is exactly what I was thinking. I find it interesting that that the same joke is very similar to the Ford idea that when humans stop uh, doing small talk, their brain starts working. That whole, yes, very that much. whole joke. Um, which kind of says something, it, it, it kind of triangulates a point that the author may not consciously be making, but is making that like small talk and it is, is there is something wrong with it and it's, it's kind of detrimental to us. And if we would only sit down and talk about the big ideas or, or how we're actually feeling, then everything would be a lot better. Is there a difference between small talk and inane conversation? Because I, I feel like small talk is that sort of ice-breaking stuff, and we talked about that a few weeks ago, the, you know, the the uh, the conversation, the, the scenes that you plotted out for us, uh, Danny, um, at the bus stop. Yeah. Feel, you know, that that is that sort of icebreaker stuff, whereas, <clears throat> and I don't, you know, I don't want to disparage anyone who really likes football, but the the people that get you know a, a certain group of men will get together and will just talk about football for uh you know the entirety of the evening and i i think there are there are parts of that that i'm sure are interesting but when you're just talking about that player's good oh but this player's really good yeah but he's not as good as this player was oh that it was much better in 1979 do you remember that when this player did this and it just it kind of feels that's not small talk because that those are people that you know that that's not a conversational lubricant. That's more just a conversational polyfill. Um, and so uh, you know this kind of feels like it edges more towards that that just sort of dull conversation rather than that necessary lubricating conversation that we need at the, at the beginning when we're talking to a stranger. Yeah, I argued that didn't I? That we need that necessary like that small, mm. small talk conversation just to ease us into. Um, yeah, and it's interesting that somebody that that is so reflective of, of British values um, <laughs> is is advocating for less small talk and for more like honest, heartfelt talk uh, where you actually know the other person's mind. But I, I think that I think Adams is a utopian at heart. I think that he is cynical in the way that somebody that sees the potential of the human race being wasted is cynical. Mm. Like the, there's now. Uh, there's no more cynical than a disappointed idealist, I think, and I mm. think that that is the impression. If, if if he does veer into like cynicism, I think that's why. Also, you, if you are a good, I don't know what the correct way to v- noun this verb or to verb this noun. Um, if you if you were good at parody, if you're a good parodyist, um, then you parody the things that you love, and when you love something, you see it you see its brilliances and you see its flaws. And to to go Adam's adjacent, Doctor Who does that very well with humanity in general. Uh, the Doctor constantly points out, you know, he will point out the, the small things that humans do badly and then some of the bigger failings of humanity. But then he comes back to save humanity time and again because he sees something in this this race of of small talkers and that comes from a love of uh you know to to take it smaller for 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 adams i think he is able to poke fun at englishness because it is at its heart it's something that he loves and he feels able to 
parody that because he has a love for yeah, it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a very good point well made. Well, he's also probably at this point um, started to come into contact with the sort of Americans that continually verbalise their every action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm just getting a bit of paper there and I'm going to go and write this down and do this. And I'm going to talk on the microphone and uh, say hello. And uh, oh, just, I'm, I'm a bit thirsty. I don't want a drink. I can just go and get myself a drink. Don't know what I can. Oh, there's a cup. I didn't realise that was uniquely American because that's something I've picked up. And, and now I think about it, I think I've picked it up from listening to Americans. But I never, I never made that connection. The accent definitely isn't. What the fuck was that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I was, do- I was doing Yogi Bear. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was some Simpson in there. A little, a little Homer. Uh, and now to a gun of some sort. The Kilozap pistol is a gun of some sort. Actually, it's an energy bolt gun on which the designer had clearly not been instructed to beat about the bush. This is not a gun for hanging over the fireplace or sticking in the umbrella stand. It is a gun for going out and making people miserable with. Danny, do you find it significant that Adams explicitly mentions guns making people miserable rather than making other people powerful, or am I overthinking it? I'd like to say that that it was, but I do get the impression that he was. That's that is a very throwaway line. Okay, I don't think Adams thinks about guns at all mm-hmm. much at all. He thinks about pointless death a lot. He thinks about mm. uh, genocide, and he thinks about man's inhumanity to man. But I don't think the gun issue for him is around. I mean, and and at at the time politically, like guns weren't really about. Like, no, they were not a big hot button. Yeah, so um, I would love, I would love for uh, for it to be that he was making a, a large point. But I, I wouldn't wouldn't be able to argue that, um, that point explicitly. It's a nice one, though, isn't it? It's like the uh, although the extent of uh, people having power over other people is the root of most miserable bubbleness anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I think I just enjoyed miserable bubbleness. I'm thinking about the, I don't know, weaponry in the, in, um, the universe. It's, um, it's quite a, a safe universe, isn't it? Um, apart from the fact that your, your bureaucracy will harm you a lot more than, um, Ran, you know, than than random random death. Also, misunderstandings or like bad bad communication. You know, um, Haktar uh, nearly destroyed the universe because he got uh, an instruction that wasn't specific enough. Um, Deep Thought built a world that was then uh, destroyed because he didn't get an instruction that was specific enough. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's not just bureaucracy that will kill you. It's also, um, yeah, uh, it, it, lack of specificity. Also, thinking about it, uh, the description is more... The, 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 the What fits more with the Adamsness of that description is his comment on design. Mm. He's talking about how the gun is... It looks as if it's specifically made to for for going out and making people miserable with, like which is a very designy thing to say, like commenting on how a gun looks um, rather than how it performs. This gun was fashioned out of one sheet of aluminium, and it has been chamfered to within an inch of its life. We're so excited to see what you're going to do with it. Bing. Apple. I, th- I thought you were going. I thought you were going to go. This isn't just a gun. This is an MNS <laughs> gun. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure anyone remembers those ads anymore. But yes, they they would an MNS gun would definitely have sort of like fake teak paneling. And now uh, to an honourable mention of a man with a special find. 
Cup is a Lamuelan who once caught a fish with a head at both ends. So, well done to Cup. And now, no nothing Bonzo the non-wonder dog belonged to Will Smithers, an earth advertising friend of Arthur's. The dog was named because the way its hair stood up on its head reminded people of the President of the United States. Any guesses as to which era President Adams would uh, would have been referring to, and does it honestly matter? You, you can work it out, and maybe we, we will do in a, in a moment, but in the essence of the fact that it really doesn't matter, and hasn't <laughs> mattered, um, it reveals, of course, that um, American presidents, uh, the main point of an American president is uh, for the to make the rest of the world feel better about their democracy being undermined because they're a totem <laughs> of the fact that American democracy doesn't work either. So it's like um, uh, if you're sitting there in a Central American country having your third coup of the of the year <laughs> because you keep annoyingly voting for socialist governments, um, the fact that uh, a sort of comedy mad head. Uh, ill-fitting suit weirdo is doing it from America it kind of makes you go hey they're all a bit crazy uh, no don't be don't just can do this <laughs> um, uh, we could be talking Carter we could be talking Reagan we could be talking Nixon when he was thinking about it um, it's not it's not the hair is it it's it's the um, it's it's the bit that's underneath the hair. Yeah, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, I I would say Reagan. Yeah, it feels like it fits for the era, and it fits Reagan as well. Like everyone knows, towards the end, he was mad as biscuits, wasn't he? Like it was. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that kind of fits, and also uh, the the name is e- excellent. The the no nothing Bonzo, the non wonder dog. <laughs> ah, I, I, I'm wrong. I'm wrong, am I? No, no, <laughs> I'm wrong in liking something. How dare you? That's not what I was going to say. I mean, it just reminded me of the fact that, um, of course, uh. But not Bozo, but Bonzo is the lead, the titular character in one of Ronald Reagan's films. Yes, uh, bedtime for Bonzo, isn't it? The uh, the um, the the chimp, and also I was um, thinking that um, Reagan is the probably the only instance of a Hitchhiker's Universe by Adams piece of directly targeted political satire in the. Um, the end of the uh, Christmas uh, story, um, young Zaphod plays it safe, which we might talk about at one point. Yes. Uh, basically, Zaphod is, uh, young Zaphod, is looking for uh, the most dangerous creature in the world. And eventually he finds a Reagan. Oh. Uh, cool. lo- it's a lovely little scene, actually, the uh, bit with uh, No Nothing Bozo in it. When Arthur comes back um, in uh, Song and Thanks for All the Fish, and uh, he's... He's too scared at, at first to go into the pub because he looks too uh, too alien, not knowing, of course, that no one would have cared. Uh, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little bit of a how a nice evocation of how out of place you can feel in um, somewhere where you know, like a, a lonely in a crowded room, as it were. Here are all the people that he used to spend a lot of time with, but he can no longer bring himself to go in like he's been away to, I don't know, to, to university or he's suddenly become very rich and successful and finds it difficult to talk to his poor friends. And it's also not his earth anymore. And, you know, 
that I think that's indicated in the fact that the I, I think you're meant to think if I if I remember the 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 scene right because um, the dog doesn't take a liking to Arthur um, and that is such a trope in certain thing you know certainly in sort of more uh, fantasy type things where you get a some kind of unearthly or otherworldly character and it's usually a cat uh will will take you know take some sort of umbrage with with that character because you know they they can see things on a plane that we just can't uh and i think certainly the way i read it anyway was was sort of drawing towards that thinking oh this this dog knows this dog knows that arthur's not from this this particular earth and it turns out actually no the dog's just an idiot <laughs> did you talk to go back to uh our uh, dear departed uh, president reagan i read a wonderful article recently about how um ronald reagan really used to like films and he used to have his own little cinema in um the white house but uh he basically there was, there was uh, one some aliens basically leaked um like the list of films that he was watching and essentially he used to just like watch like um back to the future over and over again <laughs> Aww. And war games, things like that. He's just uh, and ET. He likes ET. That basically children's films. Do you think the current president watches? I mean, does does he does he imbibe entertainment? You know, is that a thing that he does? You know what I mean? It does 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 he know uh, what what fiction is? Does he you know? Does he is that something that he watches? I don't. I've I've heard tell it might be completely scurrilous that um, it's. Fairly well known that he's never read a, a book, yeah, of any kind, including his own, including the ones he hasn't written. <laughs> Indeed, a um, film's a film's a commitment, though. I must. Admit, <laughs> it's true. I must admit, I didn't. Uh, well, I was talking about seeing Paddington two earlier. I didn't say I concentrated. <laughs> uh, I am finding it harder and harder to finish films. Back in the day. When uh, the, the only time, the only real way to watch uh, films was on the t- when they came on the telly. Yes, um, and particularly like quite good. I used to have a thing for for watching sort of fifties, sixties, seventies science fiction films. You know, mm. Day the Earth Stood Still, or The Day the oh, Earth yeah. Caught Fire, or or the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, things like that. Mm-hmm. And they would only normally come on the TV quite late at night. Meaning that I'd seen the first 20 minutes of lots of films. <laughs> Several uh, times. <laughs> yeah. And got no, I'd got absolutely no idea. I mean, uh, do, do they find out? I was, just- I, was, I was very much like that with the films that show on Channel 4. Yeah. But I would start watching for an entirely different reason after about, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. Yes, indeed. Channel five, Dan. Weren't no, weren't no Channel five when I was a teenager. But what I was, what I was thinking about is it, it actually may have spoiled my film watching because I think I genuinely didn't know what the end was going to be and whether or not the the Earth would fry or whether or not anybody would uh, find out that Soylent Green was people or whether <laughs> Bruce Willis was dead at the Spoiler! end or Rosebud was a sledge or anything like that. Or, whether or if it or was not, Kaiser Soze all along. Or who who was on Schindler's List or anything. So I did, genuinely didn't know. But I think nowadays I'd sit down to watch a film and I drift off, not because I know, not because I know the plot, because this doesn't answer me with like TV series or books or anything. I don't get annoyed about spoilers. But I can't suspend sort of disbelief in 
Hollywood enough to think that there's any, you know, oh, no, they're not going to be able to save the orphanage. Yeah, they will. They'll be able to save the orphanage. It will be fine. By the same token, I'm so bored a lot of the time by television programs that I will start watching halfway through and catch up. Oh, wow. I, f- I find that a little bit more interesting than watching from the start and having it explained to me. Okay, so like deliberately deliberately hobbling your understanding. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a handicap. He's <laughs> giving yourself a handicap to enjoyment. Yeah, it's that damn media studies. A-level. Uh, I, I can tell you now that it doesn't work for improv shows. I turned up late uh, at an improv performance last night, and uh, I don't recommend do, uh, ever doing that um, because the whole kind of point of improv really is that you start with a suggestion and then the magic is tying everything back to that suggestion. And when you don't know what the initial premise is, you, you kind of just sit there and go, oh, that was probably a really good reference. <laughs> and that's that's how you enjoy the, the, the next 40 minutes. If you've tuned in to your first episode of uh, Beware of the Leopard today, please remember to go back and listen to the previous 27 before you listen to this one. Absolutely. And if you've joined us halfway through, you don't know how podcasts work. Well, that just about wraps it up for God uh, and this show. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, If you enjoy the show and you've made it this far, so yes, um, then um, tell some people, tell a friend, um, maybe tell two, and maybe they'll tell two, and they'll tell two, and uh, we'll go on and soon everyone will be listening to Beware of the Leopard because why wouldn't you? Look, look, people, look. You're a nerd. You've only got so many friends and you all like the same thing. Tell them both. There's bound to be somebody you know that likes Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Tell them about us. And by the end of the chessboard will be full of rice, all the rice in the kingdom. The maths for that rice thing can't possibly work out. Um, let, tell you what, let's start, let's start a podcast where we uh, do that. Every episode, we put some grains of rice on the first square of the chessboard. Let's see how far we get. All right. Uh, in in the next episode, I'll. It's like one of those um, the magazines where you'd 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 pay fifty p for the initial issue, and you get you get the chessboard, and then it's three ninety nine for every week, and you get one grain of rice, and then the next week it's two. So uh, yeah, next week I'll start with the chessboard. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, as I said, uh, do leave us a review as well. If you know, if you if you don't if you don't have any if you've used up all of your friends uh, and you you've told everyone, uh, then the next thing you can do is uh, go and leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show. Uh, you can follow Danny over there on Twitter at Probably Drunk. You can follow John at Bounder. And you can follow me at I Am Stedman. Do that. I will see you next week as will uh, one of these chaps. Um, it's a rotating panel. You get it. Everyone gets it. Uh, until next week, share and enjoy. Dum, 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 dum. That's where I can put the music in. Um, good. All right. <laughs> can you put it in after you've just gone boom? <laughs> You're going to put the EastEnders music in. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs>